You can find that in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Awake. I know it's like a little bit kind of relaxed today. It seems a little bit quieter. You guys look a little too comfortable. It's a little dark in here. I can still see all of you, so no sleeping. Guys, it's Pentecost, right? Man, there is just a lack of excitement in this place today. There it is. Guys, this is the most important day in the Christian calendar, Pentecost. There it is. Ah, man, Now now I'm awake too. That's good. Now we're ready. So we just read through this text, and this is the initial kind of the, this how everything kind of unfolded, the accounting of the events of Pentecost, where it all began. So we read this kind of story. It's, it's really dramatic what's happening, right? It says, suddenly, suddenly out of nowhere, they're just in the upper room, they're chilling, they're praying together, they're waiting as they were told by Jesus to do, waiting for what was promised, something that was going to come. And they're sitting there waiting It's probably a little quiet, kind of like it was a minute ago. And then suddenly, there's a violent shaking. The house is kind of rattling like a a great wind in the place. Tongues, it says it looked like tongues of fire coming down and resting on them. I've never experienced that personally. Sounds pretty intense. So this is what they're experiencing. And what's most important, all that stuff happens, of course, outside of them. But what's most important is that at this moment, as the Spirit was poured out, they were filled inside. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit kind of led them each in different ways. And we see this awesome purpose in it because immediately... It's the people outside, all these people that are in the city that are witnessing all of these crazy events are, are hearing the, the glories of God, hearing God being glorified in their own mother tongue. So this is kind of the, the image of what just happened, what we just read. It's this amazing event in history and it changed everything. It changed everything for Christianity forever. Without this day, 
we would be living an entirely different existence in our faith. It changed how we're led to the truth of God's grace, how we're led by God, how we're able to understand and comprehend the ways of God and the ways of our salvation, how we're able to understand the gospel, how we're used by God and directed by Him through the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, what I believe is most important is this changed the way that, we're, that we are changed We're not changed by hard work and sweat alone. We're changed by the Holy Spirit that's living within us and changing us from within. And our hearts are transformed by the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all those there in that upper room that day. But all the people outside, we see this kind of separation, right? We see the filling of the Holy Spirit, all these crazy things happening, all these kind of signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit And then there are the people outside of it that are watching this all happen. And you see them fall into these two categories. In the midst of all of this, the response is one of two things. And one of them is a a little more positive than the other. Half of them are a bit perplexed. I love that word perplexed. It's, I think, a great word. And basically, they're, they're amazed by what's happening. They're a little bit in awe. Hey, this is crazy. Like, these guys surely shouldn't be able to speak my language right now. And I'm hearing about God through them in my own language. They're a little amazed, but they have no clue what's really going on. They're also confused. They have no clue what's really behind it. And then the rest of them are just, they throw it away as foolishness. These guys are drunk. Come on, it's 11, but they just see it as these guys must be drunk. There's no way that this is, this is anything of value. And yet it was... This was ground zero. This is where everything changed, where everything began. All the power of the Holy Spirit was poured out in this one upper room full of people. It was intense. It was filled with unbelievable power. And at the end of Acts chapter 2, if we skipped ahead, we see that from this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the, the real end result, what really is miraculous is that 3,000 people come to Christ. 3,000 people are added to the body of believers. 3,000 people that were on their way to hell are now on their way to eternity with Christ. And any time we see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you can imagine that hearts are going to be changed. Hearts are going to be transformed. And we see that here. 3,000 people can't imagine and yet here at the start of the story as the spirit is first poured out and these signs and wonders are right there in front of them it seems to have little impact on them they don't seem to really be affected by what's taking place they have no clue what's going on what does this tell us then about the work of the holy spirit what does this tell us about the work of the holy spirit Well, this is going to be our focus today. This is what we want to kind of try and unpack is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at this from two different ways, or I would would say two different ways that we should receive this information we're going to go through. And one is to hopefully better understand our own salvation and how we how the holy spirit played his part in our salvation and our coming to Christ as he does as we'll see he does with these 3000 but also so that we'll have a better understanding of the work of the holy spirit 
in how he works in other people and through us so that when we go out into the world, as we're called to do, and we share this good news, we'll have a better grasp of what's really going on, of how the Holy Spirit is at work. Now, before we get into all of that, I want to start by just giving a little bit of an overview, a kind of just touching on some things that we believe about the Holy Spirit, a refresher course, if you will. So I'll quote from uh, the New City Catechism. It's a great catechism, if you haven't heard of it. And uh, a bunch of churches got together and kind of did a bunch of question and answers. And one of the questions is, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And I, this is a really simple answer. That He is God. That's important. Co-eternal with the Father and the Son. And that God grants Him irrevocably to all who believe. So this means that the Holy Spirit, first thing that we need to remind ourselves of, and some people don't, maybe don't know this, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not just an idea. It's not just this kind of mystical-like thing that affects certain people. It's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person and a part of the Trinity. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And next week, we're going to be celebrating Trinity Sunday. And so we'll be looking at that more in depth. So I'd encourage you to come back next week if you want to hear more about the Trinity. That's all I'm going to say about it for today. So he is a person. He is eternal, meaning he's always been. He's always been around. He didn't come into being at Pentecost. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit onto the believers there and for us today is not, wasn't the beginning of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always been at work throughout human history. <clears throat> the, first thing, the first time we see the Holy Spirit mentioned is in Genesis 1 verse 2 where it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. He was there at the very beginning. Before there was any form or creation, the Holy Spirit was there. And we see, we know that the, if we look at a lot of the Old Testament imagery, the Holy Spirit is always the bringer of life. So he was there at creation and was a part of the bringing of life to the earth. And he also worked through some people in the Old Testament. This isn't the first time that we see the Holy Spirit interact with people. We see him with Moses as he led the Israelites out of Egypt and performed miracles. We see it through a lot of the kings of Israel, David being one of the best examples, and as uh, he also worked as a was, a, was a prophet in a lot of ways, which we see in the Psalms, but also the, the Bible says that the Spirit of God was on David. And we see it through all of the prophets who spoke through the power of the Holy Spirit on God's behalf. So everything they said was through the power of the Holy Spirit. But at Pentecost, things really changed for us. Because the Holy Spirit has always had kind of an agenda and a purpose, and that's to see God's plan, God's purposes fulfilled on the earth. Everything he does is in line with what God's purposes are. And in the Old Testament, we see him do this through various people that God chose to use. But after Pentecost, as we saw in the catechism, God granted the Holy Spirit irrevocably to all who believe. All those who call on Jesus Christ as their Lord, all those who are children of God, have the Holy Spirit irrevocably. And this is possible. What changed, what made this possible is Jesus Christ. A little bit of an insight, almost 
all things in the Bible eventually point back to Jesus. It's just kind of the way it works. He's a key element. So we see this because of Jesus' glorification. And I don't, without getting too deep into all of the theology of this, basically because Jesus ascended into heaven. So we see Jesus go through, he was born, he lived, he died, he was raised from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven and was glorified in heaven, which he is the first fruit. We will also follow in all of those things. We've all been born, clearly. We're all alive. We all will die, and because of Jesus Christ, we will then be raised again and glorified. Getting way off track. The point is, is that in Jesus' glorification in heaven, because he sits up next to the Father in heaven, he then sent us the Holy Spirit. So, the, so Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't like just randomly. It was sent. It was purposeful. And it was sent. the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus himself. In John 16, 7, Jesus says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. And he's talking about his ascension, going up into heaven. Unless I go away, the advocate or the helper, as some translations say, referring to the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So we all have the Holy Spirit as believers. We have access to this irrevocably because of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. He is the one who sent him to us. And the story of Pentecost is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. First, we see it in the outpouring, right? As Jesus sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost on that room, we see the Holy Spirit just kind of poured out. They're filled. There's tongues of fire. They're speaking in other languages. There's, the building is shaking. There's the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I want us to really catch today is that throughout the rest of Acts chapter 2, we see the power of the Holy Spirit also manifest in much more subtle ways. As Peter will stand up, as immediately after the text we read, Peter stands up and addresses the crowd, and gives the first anointed, spirit-led, powerful sermon of the new covenant after Pentecost, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here through Peter... I see they're, they're, through Peter and through the whole story of Pentecost, we see four ways that the Holy Spirit worked. Four ways that the Holy Spirit worked. And we, we can see that it's not just the signs and wonders. It's not just this, these miraculous things that happened right at the beginning. But it's also through these subtle works of the Spirit that we'll see that cause what is ultimately the goal which is to see 3,000 people come to the truth. That's what really matters. That's what really matters in the end. The people at the beginning, they saw it. They saw these signs and wonders, but they were bewildered. They were perplexed. They thought they were drunk. But yet at the end there, 3,000 of them have come to Christ. And we're going to see these subtle works and how Christ, or how Christ is amplified in this through the work of the Holy Spirit every single step of the way. So one way, first way that I want to look at, after we see these signs and wonders we saw at the beginning, the next thing we see, the very next thing, is the Holy Spirit works through us. 
He works through us, and he works through Peter here in speaking the truth. The first thing the Holy Spirit does after he fills Peter is raises him up to stand up and to speak. In verse 14, it's the very next verse. It says that he stood up and rose his voice. He addressed the crowd. And remember, half the people think that he's that they're, half the people are a little bit confused about what's going on, and the other half think that he's drunk. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if I knew that that's what you guys are thinking about me right now, I would have a hard time continuing in this sermon right now. If you're like, he must be drunk. What's going on up there? And yet Peter stands up. And this is how we know that he must be filled with the Holy Spirit. The whole, this is the Holy Spirit's work. He is going to speak through Peter. And this is important, an important work of the Holy Spirit that we're called to be a part of. Romans 10:14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So this work of the Holy Spirit as we as believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, which if we believe we are, are called as a church, as individuals, to preach the truth. We're called to preach the truth. The people need to hear the truth. And we're filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit, not just for themselves, but for purpose. And we as believers, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we come to Christ... The Spirit of God empowers us and leads us for evangelism. That is a part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And we can trust in that. We can trust in that filling of the Holy Spirit. We can trust in Him that dwells within us to give us the words to say when we need to speak the truth. When we have chances to speak with those colleagues at work, to speak with family members or friends, anyone in our life that we come in contact with that need to hear the truth. How will they believe? How will they come to a, a knowledge of the truth if no one's telling them? Let's, not, let's be careful not to assume that people know what we know. Let's be careful not to kind of ex- just to, to dismiss ourselves from this requirement of our of our calling as believers today we're all called to do this and this is the work of the holy spirit it's the more subtle things that seem to have the most impact so peter is walking them through he's he stood up he's preaching the truth and he's walking them through the truth of jesus and the events of Pentecost itself, of what's going on here. And he starts by showing them that the day of Pentecost is not something that they should be so surprised by. He quotes the prophet Joel, and he goes all the way through the text, but in verse 17, or the beginning of verse 17, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And then he lists all these great things, all these signs and wonders that will follow, showing that to to show that it is God that is at work in it. That's what these signs and wonders do. But his point is that it's always been God's plan. That's why the verse or the chapter starts with when the day of Pentecost came. It was a day that was promised. It was a specific time in history. 
And Peter's point is this, is you shouldn't be so perplexed. The text tells us that they were God-fearing Jews. They knew the Old Testament. They had read the prophet Joel. And he said, you shouldn't be so confused and perplexed by this. You shouldn't think that we're drunk. This is the day that God promised would come, and now it's here. Now, and throughout his sermon that we won't have time to get all into, he goes into using, showing how David uh, is, sheds light on, on the, the promised Messiah. And, but something I find really interesting when I read through chapter 2, or I want to spend a little more time on today, is that as he begins to kind of reach his conclusion, and two times throughout his sermon he makes this one point, and I'll read one of the times that he makes it in Acts 2.23. So this man, talking about Jesus, this man Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. It's one of the most powerful sentences you could put in a sermon. Peter just laid out two huge statements, if you, weren't, if you didn't notice. The first is that Jesus' death on the cross was not an accident. It wasn't something that God was like, oh man, what do I do now? I guess I'll raise him from the dead. It was always God's plan. God knew what he was doing. It was through the foreknowledge. This plan was always the plan. But in this, he also drops something else that has a lot more weight. And it w- it, we'll see that it had weight and it should have weight for us today. Because he says, in this, you also played a role. You, your sin, nailed Jesus to the cross. Now, we know that the people he's addressing, well, we know there's at least 3,000, maybe more. They couldn't have all physically nailed Jesus to the cross. That can't be what he means. He's referring to the sin. And this leads us to the next work of the Holy Spirit, the subtle work of the Holy Spirit that has power to transform. So first we saw the outpouring, where we saw signs and wonders and miraculous uh, displays of his power. The second thing is we see the speaking of the truth through preaching. But now the third thing is feeling the truth, feeling the weight and the truth through conviction. Through conviction. This is another work of the Holy Spirit. So Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching arguably one of the greatest sermons ever preached. But it's not a feel-good sermon. It's not a, I'm going to go home like warm and fuzzy after this message kind of sermon. He's not looking for an amen, brother. I wasn't looking either, just to be clear. He's speaking with conviction from the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by Him on the conviction of sin. He says, it was you. It was you and your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. And in Acts 2.37, we see how they were affected by this Holy Spirit conviction. When the people heard this, they were cut 
to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? This is what the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit does. It cuts right to the heart. It's not Peter's amazing preaching. If you read through the text, it's good, it's not great. I've heard better sermons. It's not the, it's not the words. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that cut to the heart. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that transformed them. And we need to allow for conviction in our hearts. And I say this for us to understand our own walk and salvation with the Lord, but also for us that we would know how the Holy Spirit works in bringing others, in opening other people's hearts. It's important to feel this conviction because it's the filter that brings grace the grace and love of the cross into full view. It's only then do we understand the full scape of what happened on the cross. Otherwise, we're getting just a narrow view. Some of the people there that Peter's addressing may have actually been there as Jesus stood before the people wrongfully accused and they yelled, crucify him. And... We know that it was just a few weeks earlier that this happened. So it could be that there are people in the crowd that were there that day. But the truth is, we were all there. Because it's for the sin of all that Jesus had to die. Not just for the sins of some. For my sins, for your sins. The truth is, we, with our sin, nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. I know this is a heavy topic. It's not a feel-good part of the message. I promise it gets better. But until we get this truth, grace is just an idea. Love of Christ is just an idea that we can't fully grasp because we cannot, we can only fully grasp and fully appreciate the glories and grace of the cross and the resurrection when we first understand the seriousness of our own sin. This is genuine Holy Spirit conviction and it leads us to a true understanding of the gospel. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. This happened because of Pentecost. Before that, they had to Read, and they had to try to grasp what they needed to do with their minds. And we see how that worked out with the Israelites. Read through the book of Judges. It's a great example of how wrong things can go. That was them trying in their own strength. God was like, no, this is, go this way. No, no, you're going the wrong way again. But now we have the Holy Spirit who comes and convicts us directly to the heart and with one word, you nailed him to the cross. Bam, right to the heart. They were cut. And this was always the plan of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises us this in John sixteen eight, When he, referring to the Holy Spirit, comes, 
He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because we're sinners and we need Jesus. About righteousness because a lot of times we think we're more righteous than we ought to think in our own strength. And about judgment in the sense of how we look at each other. The Holy Spirit comes and changes all that. The Holy Spirit breaks our ideas down about who we are, about how weak we think we are, and also about how strong we think we are. But when we're talking about conviction, I want to be very clear that there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit does not condemn. Jesus will never condemn us. I did not come to the world to condemn it. He says, he will never condemn us, but the Holy Spirit will convict us. In Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit always is pouring out love into us. We're free from condemnation. But I want to tell you guys a personal story in connection with this. That wasn't my original plan to share, but God put it on my heart this morning pretty early to add this into the message. Because I think we need to remember that love and conviction go together when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit within us. So in my life, when I was about 20 years old, I was kind of doing my own thing. I was living for myself, and, but I had grown up in church, and I always had this idea that God was calling me into ministry. I had a terrible fear of public speaking, so I was hoping it wasn't preaching, and yet here I am. But there was this point when I was 20, and I was doing my own thing. I wasn't going to church, and I was driving in my car, minding my own business, listening to the radio, And suddenly in the back of my mind, this kind of idea of ministry and and God calling me to ministry, in fact, at that time, specifically, the calling to go to Germany. Already he had been putting it in my heart. It kind of just popped in the back of my head, and all these ideas about who I was came into my mind, about how, how well things were going in my life and how silly it would be to leave that but also how much I had already messed up, and so how could God use me? I had kind of both sides of the spectrum going on at the same time in my heart. Self-righteousness as well as just a, a shame for who I was. And in this moment, a song came on the radio, and I'll never forget it. And this is where this all came from. This morning I was just listening to music, and that song came on, and God reminded me of this. And this song came on, and God spoke through me, spoke to me through this song and through the Holy Spirit. And I can only describe it as if, if you were running, if you're on the beach and the waves are crashing, and you run as fast as you can into the water, only to be knocked five feet back by the first wave that hits you. It was like just a, a tidal wave rushed over me, and I felt broken. I felt completely broken inside the Holy Spirit cut me to the heart that's my experience of conviction and in that moment I felt the conviction of all my sin 
I felt the conviction of my self-righteousness and everything I thought I was doing so well. And I felt the conviction of everything that I was doing so wrong. I felt so broken. But what I want to tell you guys and encourage you with is that in that moment, and in that moment and ever since, I have never, ever felt so loved and accepted as I did right then. In that one instant, I was both broken, convicted, and loved and accepted. That's why I think this is so important for us to grasp when we're talking about Pentecost and the works of the Holy Spirit, to remember how He works, how He breaks us down, and how He builds us up. That we are so loved, and in our brokenness, in our conviction of our sin, It's in this exact moment that we feel the full view and grace and love of the cross. So the difference is clear between condemnation, which leads to shame and guilt and regret, where conviction leads to an understanding of the truth and action. The works of the Holy Spirit always lead us eventually to action. They were cut to the heart. And what's the next thing they say? What shall we do then? What do we do? In Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they're called into repentance. Repentance is the acknowledgement of our sin. The acknowledgement of our weakness. And that Jesus Christ is the only one that can truly save us. He is the only way of salvation. And true conviction of the Holy Spirit will lead us to this point. And as we look back at all of these events, as we see how the Holy Spirit was at work throughout the text, throughout Peter's message, It's so clear that it was always him, every step of the way, that led to this most important moment, the moment of repentance, the moment of saying, I want to follow Christ. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit, every step of the way, that led to this moment. We see it through the signs and wonders. We see it through the hearing of the truth. And the feeling of the conviction, the cutting to the heart that ultimately leads them to make that decision. It was the Holy Spirit every step of the way through Peter, through the work of the heart. Now they have the Holy Spirit. Now they can begin to live out the truth that they've been given. The love that has been poured into their hearts through the Holy Spirit. And next. 239, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. This means us today. This means for us today. We're pretty far off from the events of Pentecost. He makes a point to include us. We receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the very moment we believe. And the law is written in our hearts and God directs us in our ways. He changes our desires and our cravings and our wants and our needs. 
They're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is our walk with the Lord. But we can see through this text that it began long before that. The Holy Spirit began that work, working on their hearts to bring them to this point. And we begin to see now that this is where it starts to make sense. This is how we can then walk and live a life as Jesus Christ lived. And the real change happens. The real transformation happens within the heart. It wasn't just these signs and wonders at the beginning. It wasn't just the preaching. It wasn't just any part of it. It was every step of it. This happened. This began through Pentecost. So today we can, we can trust in that conviction of our heart that leads us to repentance, that leads us to forgiveness and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And when we do, this is where we will begin to see change in our lives. And the thing that I want to leave you guys with when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit is that it's not so much in the big moments that have the greatest impact on the world around us. It's not so much in the big signs and wonders, that amazing worship night. It's in the day-to-day walking with the Lord, led, transformed, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. I was talking with someone this week about their own personal conversion, and they shared with me that that the time it was a, a friend of theirs and later their husband. But she said it was, the, it was the change that I saw in him that led me to ask, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? It wasn't in any one particular great moment. It's seeing people change. Because it's hard to change. It's hard to change. But because of Pentecost... We don't have to work on it on on our own. We have the Holy Spirit who's working within us. So I want to encourage you guys to remember that the Holy Spirit is what led you to where you are now. The Holy Spirit will lead you day by day, transforming your life, and you will begin to see it over time. I always find it really interesting when I read old journals and I look back and I think, who is that guy? And I can see where God had transformed me through the power of the Holy Spirit over time. And this is a great testimony to those around us. So be encouraged by that, that you are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit day by day. I want to invite the band to come back up. We'll close with a song. I want to encourage you guys that... We can walk by the Spirit. And when you do, everyone around you will see the change in you. And this will be the greatest testimony that we can have of the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit within us. So in closing, I invite you guys to stand and let's worship together.